Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Monday. Hopefully, your Monday was as great as mine. Mine was a little slow, but it was very productive. So hopefully, your Monday was just as great, if not better. Thank you, as always, for making My EdTech Life what it is today. And no matter where it is that you're joining us in the world, thank you, as always, for all of your support. We appreciate all the likes, the shares, the follows. Thank you so much for the just the positive feedback and really interacting with our content, guys. As we do what we do for you week in and week out, we want to bring you the best conversations. We want to bring you the best that is out there currently in the ed tech space, in the education space, so we can continue to grow together grow as a community, and as always, sharpen our skills as well by grabbing some of those knowledge nuggets and sprinkle them on to what you are already doing great. So thank you so much for joining us today and all of your support. And I am excited for today's show. I'm just ready to dive in because this is such a great story. And I just really want you guys to this evening connect with Adam Sparks. And of course, what you'll get to know about the platform that he's developed. He is a co-founder, CEO of Short Answer. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. So Adam, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on here. And yeah, just super excited to talk about short answer and life and everything else. So uh, absolutely, for sure. We're going to talk a little bit about everything as we just, I love for my guests to make that great connection with our audience. And we've got Sophie who's joining us as always. Thank you so much, Sophie, for all your support. I'm glad you had a fantastic fantastic Monday. Thank you for joining us in our conversation today. So Adam, I am excited for my audience to get to know you and of course to get to know more about short answers. So before we get into the heart of the conversation, I would love for you to give us a little brief introduction and your context within the education space. Yeah, for sure. So name's Adam Sparks. It's great to be here with everybody. Grew up in a small town called Louisville, Nebraska, which is in the eastern part of the state between Omaha and Lincoln on a farm. My mom was an educator for over 40 years. I have so many family members in education that I was always surrounded by it. Graduated undergrad 2014, got my teaching license, taught social studies and English for the last seven years, mostly in Nebraska, except just where I'm from. But also in China and in Chicago. So the most varied context that you could possibly imagine. I learned a lot from those varied contexts. And then for the last year, I was a full-time grad student in the learning design and technology program at Stanford and the graduate school of education, which is where short answers started. So it was originally my master's capstone project. We got some grant funding. And so we launched it in February and been working on it since. So um, that's, that's the brief history of me and super excited to talk more about all that. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm excited. It's just you you got me hooked right now as when you said capstone. This started off as a capstone project. And that to me, I'm like, that's amazing. For my master's program, we didn't have a capstone. We just had like, hey, here's your digital portfolio, of course. But this is something that is great. And I'm I'm glad to hear that your program did something like this, where now you started off with something, created something, and now it's turned into just an amazing platform for educators. So let's talk a little bit about that too. So I want to get in, as I know you mentioned, just a little brief introduction, but I want to go a little bit further back, just, just kind of walk us through this journey because as Adam, uh, every superhero has an origin story. And if you're a guest <laughs> on My EdTech Life, you def I definitely liken you to a superhero because of the work that you're doing. And in this case, the work you're doing through Short Answer. But not only that, Adam, I must say that you are my first guest that actually sounds like they have a superhero name, Adam Sparks. <laughs> so anyway, Adam, I thank you so much for, for at least taking that little joke right there. But <laughs> I, I just want to hear more about just that origin story. So again, growing up in Nebraska, you said educators in the family. 
So is that something that you already knew was kind of like, all right, this is what I'm going to follow? Or maybe at some time or within you growing up in your edu- in your journey, did you want to do something else? No, when, when I went to undergrad, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I, I went in telling everyone that I was going to be pre-law. And that lasted about six months <laughs> when I found out what the job of being a lawyer is actually like. And just fell in love with all my education classes. Always had it in the back of my head uh, because I had always been surrounded by it. And yeah, I took the education classes, loved them, and just went down that path and loved student teaching and have loved the, the career ever since. So no, originally I didn't think it would be education, but that changed pretty quickly. I think maybe I always knew, but just had to get out and experience things. And that was the first part of your question. What was the second part of your question? Yeah. Um, and then just to continue to walk us through that journey. So now you ended no. up going from Nebraska. You said you went to Stanford and then you got into your program and working on that capstone. So I guess we can kind of start from there and then kind of get yeah. into the heart of the matter. So tell me a little bit about your program. And then of course, where the idea of short answer came from within the program to end up being your capstone. Yeah. Yeah. So learning design and technology program at Stanford, it's, it's a master's uh, program. It's the coolest program in the world. You spend a year trying to solve a problem in education using technology. As a teacher, I had experienced many problems <laughs> over the course of a seven year career, as I'm sure you can imagine. And there were many I wanted to work on. The one that that frustrated me the most. So I chose to work on that was just this experience of especially teaching social studies in English. That's a writing intensive curriculum, spending all day Sunday, giving kids feedback on that writing or on just on work in general, doesn't necessarily have to even be writing coming in on Monday, giving them that feedback, having them ignore all of it, look at their grade, jam it in their backpack and move on. And if, if you look at the, 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 if, I don't know, like John Hattie's research on education interventions, and the effect size of those different interventions, high quality feedback, top of the list. But what's so challenging about that is, is that experience of like, so often kids just ignore the feedback, they don't use it, they don't even look at it. And because of that, you, you negate all of that benefit. And so wanted to work on that, had a year to do it, which was a total privilege. We went through a bunch of different iterations. Uh, I don't wanna shout out my project partner, Ben Thier. I, I did work on it and build it with Ben uh, in the LDT program. and. I'll, I'll save you the story of those different iterations, but eventually we landed on peer feedback as a way to get kids to, first of all, to get feedback quicker um, to students, but also to improve the learning that's happening as a result of that feedback. And so that's what Short Answer grew out of. I'm happy to talk more about that research base if you want. I don't know how much you want to nerd out on uh, on this process that we, we use to facilitate peer feedback, which is referred to in the research as adaptive comparative judgment, which sounds way more complicated than it is. but grow out of that research base and have launched it and and seen really great traction so far. But yeah, happy to dive into any of that. I know, I know I'm Yeah, no, 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 no. We're, we're good. No, you're good. I definitely want to nerd out. But I want to come back to what you stated in the very beginning, because as a former classroom teacher of 11 years, I absolutely know what you mean about feedback. Now, I started back in, I'm going to age myself. So for example, when I first started, it was like, hey, come in and here's a three inch, three ring binder full of transparencies. So it's like that old machine overhead. (laughs) Many of my audience members are probably like, I don't even know what he's talking about, transparencies and the markers. So yeah. And then of course, going from high school to elementary, working with fifth and sixth grade, feedback is something that I loved to give. But I always saw the same issue that you said, where this would end up in that dark abyss of a backpack, where really what it was, and I don't know if it has to do with our education, I guess, maybe system or just practice that students, they're just like, oh, here's the grade. And did I pass? Was it an A or B? Okay, I'm good just shove it in the backpack and they don't really care why they got an 80. It's just like, Hey, I passed. I'm good. I'm just going to go ahead and continue and move on. But it was so difficult, honestly, really. I mean, the hours that I would take just to give feedback and then just for them to just grab it and just shove it in their backpack and not even bother looking at it. So definitely what you said there right now, I was just like, Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language because that's exactly what happened. And I'm sure that it's something that even happens now, even though we're digital. I always tell the story before it was stacks of paper that I was grading. Then all of a sudden went on to uh, Google Classroom. So now I have digital stacks and now I'm returning feedback. But at the same time, it's like, is it even being looked at? It's just there in their repository and so on. But 
I love that, that you saw that problem. And then of course you're like, all right, let's go ahead and see how we can go ahead and solve this. So tell me a little bit more about how you and your, who was it, Ben? that you were collaborating with. And yeah, then, yeah, it was Ben in the LDT program, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So tell me a little bit more. Like, let's go ahead and kind of nerd out a little bit more just <laughs> so we can learn more of how maybe just a couple of iterations and how finally we've come to our final product, which is yeah. short answer, which is on the website, which I've been sharing on uh, during the chat. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I just want to double click real quick on something you just said, um, because that experience of of you giving, spending all this time giving kids feedback and then not have them use it, that then actually compounds on itself because it conditions the teacher. And I, I was guilty of this too. It conditions you to not give them feedback. <laughs> it's like, why would I waste my time if they're not going to use it anyway? And so you see this compounding effect to this problem. So anyway, yes, just plus one to everything you just said. Yeah, so, so, so learning science research piece. So uh, obviously, we grew out of a formative assessment framework. That's kind of the core of what we do. So we're trying to actualize Dylan William and Paul Black's 1996 framework for effective formative assessment. Those 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 two gentlemen are are kind of like the godfathers, or at least on the Mount Rushmore of formative assessment researchers. And so trying to actualize their kind of five-point plan. But then also, we, we grew out of this specifically around this scaffold of comparative judgment. So I think I should explain that for, for a bit because... One of the things we run into when we, when we bring short answer to schools or when we talk to teachers is when they hear peer feedback, immediately like alarm bells go off and, and defenses go up because so many of us, both as students and as teachers, have had horrible experiences with peer feedback because generally kids are pretty terrible, frankly, at providing peer feedback. They're new to the content. So why would we expect them to be able to, to provide feedback on somebody else's work? That's really high level thinking stuff. And so that's, as we went through the LDT program, when we tried these iterations with peer feedback, they were generally disastrous because of, because of that challenge. Um, but this, what the research and adaptive comparative judgment shows is just basically, if you ask kids to provide feedback through the medium of comparison, they can do that meaningfully. So what I mean by that is just, here's two of your peers' work. I want you to tell me like, which one of these is stronger based on the criteria we're studying. And then, okay, you pick that one. Now explain to me why it's stronger. And so kids can do that accurately. They, they can identify which one out of two is stronger. And then through that process of articulating the why, they're, they're, they're forming their own understanding of what makes for quality content. So it, it's almost like you're giving kids the, the category of a rubric, but you're not filling in the description of the rubric because they're filling in that through the process of comparison. And so when you, when you do that scaffold, but then when you average multiple comparisons, right? So if every student's like there's a 2019 study from a guy named Scott Bartholomew at BYU that a lot of our uh, theory of change on our website grows out of. They, there was an eighth grade middle school design class and the kids were designing pamphlets. And so it was just like, okay, here's, here's two of your classmates' pamphlets, pick the one that's stronger, explain, right? But then when you do that in the aggregate, so like every kid's pamphlet is compared like five to 10 times. And then we take the average of all the feedback provided from those 10 comparisons and put that into an individual feedback report. What the research on adaptive comparative judgment shows is that kids can provide the same level of feedback as their teachers or as, as, as experts. Um, and that was just mind blowing for us because, because of how negative <laughs> of experiences, frankly, that both as a student and as a teacher I had had with peer feedback. And so if you use short answer, the tool that we build, it's all based around the medium of comparison for that reason. Oh, that is great. And going back, like you mentioned, it is so true as far as, and, and I know I'm going way back be, because we just completely nerded out and I was just like <laughs> taking all that in, but it's a lot. Sorry. no, no, it's a lot, but it's great. And I love it because it really adds a lot of context to what we're talking about. And of course, for all our educators, that's really what we want to do. We want to definitely give them tools and of course, knowledge to understand why this works. And of course the research. So thank you so much for sharing that. But I just wanted to go back a little bit when you said, as far as the feedback, conditioning teachers to just either not want to give it, which you're absolutely right. And even for myself, maybe changing from the writing, like I used to do on paper. And then of course, with digital tools, I was implementing voice notes, I was implementing video, and so on. And, and even then, just trying to engage them and maybe in a different medium and mo modality, still to that day, there were still students that wouldn't even bother looking at the the feedback because it's like, hey, it doesn't matter. It's like, as long as I get higher than a 70, I'm okay. And then of course you get the, t the students that didn't do very well. 
And they're just like, eh, whatever, maybe the next one. And then they just keep falling behind. So that was something that I knew I, from my experience that I have. And to be quite honest with you, even in my new role where I have to, I give some feedback and I'll send videos. And now we've got some wonderful tools and platforms that are out there that'll actually see if they did open the link, even as adults still don't open that link. And I think like you mentioned, it's something that is conditioned, whether it's like, Hey, you know what? I already did what I needed to do as far as my task is concerned. I'm good. I passed or I did the minimum and, and everything still worked and that's it. But this is very interesting, like you mentioned, because in the classroom, when we do like our think pair share or, hey, our peer review, it was always like, hey, man, like here, I'll, I'll just give you a hundred or you give <laughs> me a hundred or you give me an 80. And you felt like you couldn't be honest with the feedback because then you were going to start something with within your classroom because it's like oh man he gave me a 70 and i can't believe that and then the next time around you're going to come back and get that but again it, it all comes back to the training it all comes back to that exposure and of course doing some research like you mentioned and so it was very enlightening what you shared with us where even students can give as good a feedback as a teacher can but obviously we need to make sure that they're properly trained and they, they have access to those resources to learn together and giving them time to learn together for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just want to add, because I, I didn't, I don't think I said it when I was talking about the comparative judgment piece, but it's all, it's also all anonymous, which is so important in, in kind of alleviating some of the concerns you just mentioned when you know who you're providing feedback to, it adds this social pressure layer that you need to get rid of if kids are going to provide uh, meaningful feedback to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to add on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you're, you're absolutely right. And it just goes back again, like what's say, well, who graded it and who graded it? But I remember, I mean, in, in our, my time in my generation, I was always make sure you write your name on there that you graded it. So now it's like, oh, you made a mistake and now they know who it is. <laughs> They're called them out on it and sure. so on. So I was like, man, teachers, I, I think they just had a lot of fun back then making us write our names on the, those <laughs> papers. So they knew who they were giving the feedback to. All well, right. Well, you're, you're touching. Sorry, I'm going to nerd out just a little yes, bit because yes. you're touching on there was this study done. It was in the night. I can't remember the year. But the, the, the names of the researchers were Kluger and Denisi, and it's like this epic, it's one of the most epic studies on feedback ever done. They, they looked at every feedback study dating to like 1905. And Dylan William calls it, Dr. Dylan William, famous formative assessment research, researcher, uh, calls it one of the most uh, counterintuitive results in all of psychology. And it was, they looked at all this study on feedback, all these studies on feedback, and they found that, I'm going to misquote the number, so don't quote me directly, but like 40% of them are something like that resulted in negative outcomes for learning. So not only did they not improve learning, they actively harmed learning. <laughs> and it's because of kind of what you're hitting on. It's so often when students get feedback, they react to it emotionally. And that is, I think, two times as, as strong. Of, I'm just making up numbers here. But when it comes from a peer, I think that's that's um, definitely the case. And when you when you react emotionally to it, when you get upset or when you get like excited, like you, th there's any number of emotional reactions that you can have where Instead of focusing on the content, you're focusing on dealing with that. And in that way, it's actually pulling you out of the learning. And it, it's just another data point on how feedback is so challenging to do well. And there's this whole social emotional piece that comes with it that is, it's, it's part of the teaching. Yeah, we talk about the learning sciences and it is a science, but it's also an art <laughs> and it's knowing your kids and, and knowing how to handle and do different relations, handle the relationships of your classroom and definitely plays into the the impact that feedback is going to have in your classroom. Sure. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And like you mentioned, it's that emotional piece is there too as well. And I mean, even for adults, I mean, you get some feedback. It's like sometimes yeah. we tend to overreact and say, wait yeah. a minute, it's not personal. It's just the feedback that is given. And even more so with the young adults and then, of course, grade school kids too as well. They get really bummed out and it's all emotional. So then tell me a little bit more. So now we, we've done the research and then, of course, now you and Ben are here working and then you said this was your capstone. And so tell me a little bit more on how you came up, I guess, or when you came up with this final iteration and then how you saw this, or maybe did you put this into practice and then say, hey, we've got something here because you mentioned that you had a, a grant or some grant funding for it too as well. So tell me yeah. a little bit more about that story right there. Well, first I'm going to say we are not a final product. We're still very much building okay. it, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So when spring semester of 2020 or spring quarter, I guess we're here at Stanford, they're on a course system. 
2023, 2022, sorry, 2022. I lose track of time. I apologize. It doesn't even matter. We, we were building the capstone and we had applied for this thing called the, the, the tools, the, the futures tools competition, which is still a thing and is amazing. It's this international learning tools competition. Teachers can submit, anybody can submit to it. Of just like, Hey, I have this idea for an app that would help education. It's, it's competitive, but like they, I think they have different tracks and you can win things. And so we were super, they were like, it's a global competition. There were like 800 applicants and we won it. And so we, that gave us a pretty good chunk of grant funding. But just as importantly, like it gave us the confidence to be like, okay, this, <laughs> like, yes, the money is very important, obviously, if we're going to work on this full-time post-grad post, uh, school. But like, this is real validation from serious learning sciences researchers that like, this could be something. So we should pursue it. So I think just as importantly for us, winning that grant was was a, was the confidence piece for us. Like, yes, we can do this. And so worked on it full-time post-graduation here at Stanford. We launched the, we, we did like a fall pilot with about 20 select teachers, many of them coming from my personal network. Cause we didn't want to, the whole Silicon Valley ethos of like move fast and break things. We've always kind of had a problem with that in education because we can't, I can't move fast and break things because I would be breaking students and teachers and that is horrible. So we, we couldn't, at least in my opinion, we, we couldn't do the traditional Silicon Valley thing of just launch it and see how people react because we didn't want to have a negative impact on students' educational outcomes and, and, and experiences. So we did, a, we did a fall pilot with 20 teachers. We broke them into chunks and iterated on short answer at each step of that. And then based on their feedback, we, we got, got the confidence that launched it last February of 2023 and have been growing it ever since. We're used by roughly 30,000 combined teachers and students across the last I checked, like 40-ish states and five countries, which is like already like already a scale that I, when we were working on this just as like a, a school project, I never could have imagined. So yeah, super exciting. <laughs> that is, no, but that is exciting. You said out of 800 entries that went in and you all won, that is amazing. And like you said, that is a testament of the work and of course the research and people just saying like, hey, you know what? And and again, I, I'm sure that for a lot of them, they had stories like myself and yourself that were like, hey, yeah, feedback and especially peer feedback is something that definitely needs a little bit, a lot more work on. So going into this, so if you can just kind of walk us through, I know that I've been sharing your website and so on, but before you do share your screen or anything like that, if you can just kind of walk us through a little bit as far as how Short Answer can help empower the teacher and of course, kind of help the student community be able to learn the feedback process. So tell us a little bit about how Short Answer does that. How, how Short Answer and like kind of the, the, the purpose we serve for teachers? Yes. That, okay. Yeah, I think Short Answer allows teachers to dramatically increase the amount of writing practice that's happening in their classroom without increasing their work. <laughs> so that that's always the challenge, right? Like we can't do writing on a daily basis because teachers don't have the time to read all that provide feedback, et cetera, et cetera. So, so less writing happens in the classroom, but because we're scaffolding it in a way where you can rely on your peers or, or the peers in the classroom, teachers can dramatically increase how much writing's happening and, and in that way, improve learning. And in the process, like, because we're just using this really simple scaffold, frankly, of comparison, these activities don't take much time to set up at all. Like you can set up a short answer activity in less than a minute. You just type in your prompt, attach any pictures you want, set the feedback criteria, you're good to go. And at the same time where it's only when I lead PD, sometimes I'll, I'll call the PD all juice, no squeeze, because it, it takes less than a minute to set up, but you can slot these in anywhere, anywhere in a lesson. So bell ringer slash do now, I don't know. It depends on the language of your school, like in, in the middle to break up, like direct instruction to do guided practice, to do independent practice as an exit ticket. Like I've seen teachers use it across the board. I've seen it done in less than five minutes. I've seen it take an entire class period. So it's, it's, it's highly customizable, but again, it's not taking the teacher any time on setup and it's not taking them hardly any time on feedback because it's happening in the app. So I think that's, that's the benefit for teachers. We are keenly aware as a, as a builder of another ed tech tool of this, of this, I don't know, syndrome of one more thing that teachers deal with all the time of like, <laughs> I know, and I know this as a former teacher, like constantly having one more thing added to your plate that you have to do as a teacher. And we certainly never want short answer to be that because I, I have had experiences where ed tech tools became that. And so just trying to keep it as simple as possible to do a 
one thing extremely well and do it in a way that serves teachers in that way. That's kind of the teacher side of things. From the student side of things, it's hopefully, ideally, and we are seeing this, and I'm happy to talk about examples, getting them to practice daily writing, getting them to practice the process of providing feedback, getting them to use feedback and revise their understanding based on that feedback. There's so many learning benefits that come from that. But then just as importantly, it's engaging to them. We're, we're, we're moving into, we're not, we're already there. <laughs> we're moving into an era uh, of AI where, where you can, I can spit my Google doc into whatever chat GPT wrapper that there is. And, and it kicks out feedback. Um, it's like serviceable and, and it, where it's serviceable now, it's going to be incredible in five years, I'm sure. Um, but I think what's lost in that sometimes is like, why are students going to want to learn how to write? <laughs> if, if the machine can do it for them, why will the, why should I learn how to do it? It's like, it's, it's the question that math teachers have dealt with in a different form for a long time of like, when am I ever going to use this? And I think we're, we're approaching that with writing and that's super interesting and something that I care a lot about. And I'm hoping that the way that we've structured short answer motivates kids to want to learn how to write because it's such a social gamified experience that, that, that those aspects will, will touch on that motivation piece. So that's my long-winded answer to your question, both from a teacher side and from a student side on how we serve teachers and students. And that's great. One of the couple of things that you hit on too is just how simple it, it is or it sounds. Like I said, I know you're you're going to show us a little bit right now when you share your screen, but I think you hit on something that's very important that you're taking into account where oftentimes I think there's a lot of ed tech companies that really it's just they see you kind of like as an invoice and it's like, eh, whatever, this is what our product does, take it or leave it, and they try and sell it to you and so on. But the fact that you mentioned, and this is what I love already, that I'm already like, I'm buying in because you said it's about keeping it simple. And that's always been my motto, especially working with teachers and having to be the one that's introducing new tech to them and rolling things out. And it's always just about keeping it simple. And the fact that you're doing that with a low barrier to entry for teachers. And like you said, in, in the experiences that you've had and the feedback that you've received from short answer and the way that it's being used, the fact that it could be used as an exit ticket or an in-between kind of break deal. And it can either go long or it can go short. It just all depends on the way that you have your class structured, but also the fact that it helps students with the writing process. And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, in our district, we struggle to get our students to write. I mean, it is a struggle in elementary. And of course, we have initiatives where it's like writing across curriculum, but then because there's other initiatives, for example, for a lot of our students that are emergent bilinguals, they have to do writing. So it's almost, we, since we can't single students out, it's like, no, everybody's going to write, but then you only get those seven papers that you really need because you need to submit those, but then everybody's going to write. But what happens is that starts happening probably maybe like in third grade. So by the time they go to fourth, they kind of know what's up. Like, how, oh, oh, I know what we're doing. And then, of course, you get no effort. You don't yep. get students that really write. But also it's because we don't give them enough time to write and practice and, of course, be able to do feedback. So having a platform that is fairly simple to use, easy to implement, where there's no tech fatigue, where there's it doesn't feel like a tech burden, and it's not another, it's not your hundred and first plate now that you're spinning. <laughs> that is a win. But you know, so I want to know a little bit more. So I don't know if you have your screen ready to kind of share and maybe kind of give us a little walkthrough as yeah. far as what we can find in the app. Yeah, let me share my screen quick. Yeah, that'd be great. That way our audience members that are watching live or will be watching the video can just see and get a little bit familiar with what short answer is and what it does. And again, just how to find it. And I know I've been sharing that link. So Adam, walk us through. Yeah. Yeah. So this is our landing page. It's myshortanswer.com. This is where kids will go to log in and, and teachers will go to sign up. But for today, just for our purposes, I'm going to go to the teacher resources tab. And that's where you'll find everything that you need to get started. Tutorials, content alignment, when it comes to specific standards, PD stuff. But again, just for, for today, the product walkthrough is going to be most helpful. And I'm actually going to show the student facing side. I think that'll help the most. And I believe I can full screen this. Okay. So mechanically think like Kahoot. Kids sign in with a code. 
it's, it's how many K-12 instruction and assessment apps work, right? So kids sign in with code. They do not have to create an account. Again, going back to that keeping it simple piece, students don't need to create accounts. So you don't have to worry about that as a teacher. They just type in their name using the code. Once the teacher's got them all in, they'll push out a question. That's the screen you're seeing here. In this case, I think it's like a middle school world history example. So you see the students got the question. If there were pictures attached to the question, they would be here in this example. They're not. Student responds. They see the success criteria that they're going to be, feedback will be provided to them based on here. So again, that, that that's, that's growing directly out of research that shows like kids learn more effectively, essentially when you share the, the assessment criteria with them upfront. And so we're doing that intentionally. So students can see what they'll be judged on, type in their response, they rate their confidence. That That's building on this metacognitive piece that I haven't talked about yet, uh, but would be happy to talk about here in a second. And they respond. While they wait, they have an avatar they can customize. And then this is kind of the core of it. So this is that that this is that comparison piece. So once the teacher clicks begin begin feedback, once they've got all the responses to in this example, this is an all in activity, which is one of three different activities we have on the platform. Every kid's answer gets feedback. And so you, I see two of my peers' responses here. Notice there's no names on it. Going back to that anonymity mm -hmm. piece, I read both of them. And then this is this is an example based on class content. So of these two answers, which one demonstrates understanding of life in ancient Greece better? And so what the students will do is drag that, and you're going to see that here, to one of the other answer. And in the process, they're, they're, <laughs> they're awarding points, right? So that's the gamification piece. And I mean, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with Jackbox games, but if you are, this is very comparable to like a Quiplash, if you've ever played Quiplash before. But again, that, that medium of comparison is the helpful scaffold. And so the students compare, they click submit. I don't think you're going to see it in this walkthrough, but if this were actually an all-in activity we were doing in class, they would get two more answers and continue comparing. It, I, teachers always ask, like, how long should this process take? It's hard for me to give a set answer on that. I think uh, it depends on the content, obviously, but if every kid can do two to three comparisons, that's going to give you pretty meaningful individual student feedback reports, but it's also going to give you a pretty meaningful distribution of student responses. That's not That's something I haven't talked about yet, but... On the back end, we're, we're using this adaptive comparative judgment algorithm to essentially just like every answer. So like in this case, this, this answer on the right that was picked, every answer that's being picked is being slowly shuffled to the right. Every answer that's maybe not being picked is being slowly shuffled to the left. And so what a teacher gets is once you have a, a meaningful number of student comparisons done, they get this accurate distribution of student responses from high to low that they can quickly look at and see like, okay, here's my kids that seem to be getting it. Here's my kids in the middle. Here's my kids who might still need some extra remedi remediation on this stuff, which you can do any number of really cool uh, formative assessment stuff with the following class period or, or things like that. Uh, but anyway, student submits. This is the individual feedback report that a student will get. So they'll see the, the different percentages uh, that they get on different uh, on each criteria. This is a, I don't know, upcoming feature within the next like 14 days <laughs> on our product roadmap. But pretty soon students will also be able to leave open comments if teachers want uh, that would also show up here. But easy extension activity for teachers here is like, okay, in this case, Amber, what I want you to do is pair up with somebody next to you. I want you to talk about your best category. In this case, demonstrating understanding of life in ancient Egypt. I want you to talk about your lowest category. And I want you to revise your answer in a Google Doc based on, on that lowest criteria that you received. And I want you to submit that and, and tell me how you revised your answer based on that. So again, teacher didn't have to do anything. Kid got feedback in the moment and then is actually being prompted to use it. And uh, if you look at the feedback research, that's what has to happen if you're going to get that amazing effect size. So that's kind of the core of it. Now, this is just the teacher side, but or sorry, excuse me. This is just the student side, but hopefully that gives you a sense of generally how the platform works. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. And, and, <laughs> so simple like really like and and this is like i said this falls into my philosophy of keeping it simple i just wanted to share sophie's comment right here sophie youngs who's joining us on linkedin says i love the confidence check piece so that's awesome so thank you so much sophie for joining us and sharing some of that feedback here on short answer but you're absolutely right what i love about this is how easy it could be set up by the teacher you set up a question and really it's it's not just for your ela class your english class it's here we were doing social studies or history or whatever it may be but the fact that now with something like this you can really 
take your writing across curriculum to another level in a gamified way with just those short answers and being able to work with students. And then the students kind of start understanding the feedback. And I absolutely love that interactive piece where they just drag and demonstrate where they're giving the points. And like, this is, this is amazing, Adam. Thank you so much for sharing this and the work that you're doing. But I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know if you wanted to add something to that, but I, I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of time so we can come back to that metacognitive piece that you yeah. wanted to add a little That's bit. That's what on. I was going to add on to. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think your name was Sophie on, on the confidence piece. We have students rate their confidence at the beginning and then you didn't see it in this because in all in, we don't have kids do it, but in our battle royale activity, we do the students will rate their confidence again at the end. And it's interesting to do. There's any number of extension activities you can do with like did your confidence change after seeing your peers' responses and after providing feedback and after getting your the feedback that you received? Did your confidence change? If so, like why? Like, And that's such a s- simple extension activity, but so powerful from a metacognitive perspective because what you'll get is a kid that had really low confidence that actually did really well. And it's like, oh my God, or the opposite, which is often the case of like, I know this stuff better than anybody. And then the feedback is like, eh, maybe you don't. <laughs> and in the process, that that helps kids develop that metacognitive awareness that is so beneficial, especially when developing that tacit knowledge. And I think tacit knowledge is so important when it comes to writing of like, I, I, maybe I can't articulate it, but I know it when I see it. And, and, and when you, when you see all these exemplars through this comparison process, and then you go through that metacognitive reflection, I think you're, um, Definitely, I don't know, developing those, yes. uh, those skills. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, sorry, I wanted to double click on that. Yeah, no, no, no worries. That's amazing. So Sophie's adding here, I had kids writing in math and science all the time, but it yeah. took so much time. I am with you, Sophie. I was a science, social studies, and math teacher, and I oh know God. what that means. So this would have been a game changer. Absolutely have been a game changer. This is amazing. So yeah, I agree with you, Sophie. Thank you so much for that share. Wow, Adam, like th- Can this I just is... shout out real quick writing yeah. writing in math and science classes? Because <laughs> I think when we present this tool at conferences and stuff, it's like, oh, that's like a social studies, humanities mm-hmm. tool. And it very much is, right? That's those are our power users. But if you look at like like the next generation science standards, like NGSS, national standards, like there are so many specific standards around crafting scientific arguments, like supporting scientific arguments with like evidence-based scientific. Um, claims and those those are one to one like right <laughs> with a lot of the writing standards so yeah absolutely this is writing can happen in a science class writing can happen in a math class it may not be well in a science class it is a direct one to one fit in a math class it may not be as direct but there are any number of really cool activities you can do with this to get kids writing in math and just writing across the curriculum in general so yes i just want to shout that out because yes. i think it's something that people are skeptical of and I am passionate about. <laughs> absolutely. So Sophie here's justify your answer. There you go. I love it. No, absolutely. Like I mentioned to you, Adam, like in my experience in the classroom, it was like, oh, okay, writing across curriculum. And so we do that. And then of course, there comes the the time it's called Telpus. And really it's just for our students that are emerging bilinguals and just to see where their writing is at. And, but then of course we would have to make the whole class write. And it's kind of like, okay, guys, you got to write, you got to write. And it had to be for that particular topic. So whether it was science, there had to be a science writing. So myself that I was teaching three subjects, it's like, why are we writing in math? Like we don't need to write in math. And then, so there you are that crafting certain things for math, like topics that they can do. But if, this were available, then I think it would be a a little bit better for them to do. And you can even add it as an activity. And then of course, see and get that feedback and still have that artifact that they may be looking for that we need to submit. And of course, uh, keeping that data. And like you mentioned, seeing where your students are at, you've got the students that are understanding the students that are kind of like a midpoint. And then you've got the students that you might need to do some additional intervention for, whether it's fixing a misconception or just a maybe a little quick reteach. But what what I'm always looking for in EdTech tools is the following. And, and this seems to be falls right in line with the types of tools that I'm always looking for, which is being able to uh, immediately get those results, see which students I really need to work with. And then from those students say, okay, is this due to maybe student needing additional supports or was it just a quick reteach or was it a misconception or anything? And 
to lighten the load later on in the year where we would have tutorial groups that would need to come in. And especially Texas is big on state testing. I always had the smaller group of students that would come in on Saturdays because I was really just looking at the data and I would just reteach right away where other classes, they would just, oh, they just bring everybody in whether they needed to be in there or not. But again, this falls in line with the, the types of tools that I like where I get that immediate feedback and then I can immediately take action for those particular students, but also helping my bubble kids or, or my middle kids also say, hey, okay, let's just get that little push so we can yep. all be moving on up and showing some growth towards the year. So I okay. absolutely love that for sure. Hey, thank you. Thank you. And you're, you're touching on an important piece I haven't talked about, which is the immediacy of feedback. Because yes. what, what so often happens with, with feedback is because it takes us as teachers, one, if we're lucky, if not two to three to four to five days, if not more, to get, to get kids feedback on their writing because it's so time consuming, right? they're no longer in the moment of learning. And so it, like literally when they get the feedback, they're like, what was this again? They have to like reorient themselves. So if you, you don't necessarily wanna give them feedback while they're in the learning, but with, with short answer, you're getting it like right after you've done this metacognitive processing of seeing every other, other students' responses and doing some reflecting there. And it's, it's a really ideal time to get it in the moment. And again, saving the teacher the time in the process. So yes, I, the timing is, is really vital when it comes to feedback. So I just wanted to, to expand on that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Adam. I really appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for just sharing something so wonderful with me and with my audience. I want to thank Sophie also for joining us and those of uh, the others that are going to be catching this on the replay and so on. But this is amazing. And I've been sharing the link. And for anybody also, just again, I've been putting the banner up too. Please make sure that you visit short answer or my short answer.com. So you can go ahead and check out this amazing platform. Now, Adam, I didn't get to ask as far as there are some questions that do come up as far as accounts and so on. Is there anything on pricing that our audience members should know about? Yeah, a vital question for teachers. It's free. You can sign up, try everything I showed you in the, when I pulled up the screens tonight. It was free. Everything right now, like base short answer, we have gone out of our way to make sure it's, it's really useful for teachers, even if they can't afford to pay for the premium. But we do have a short answer premium and we will for $75 a year per teacher. And we will oftentimes then bundle in professional development with that because we do think when it comes to using tools, like effectively, we think that PD piece is really vital. So those, that's kind of the core of it, I guess, when it comes to price. But again, we know teachers free is vital for many, or in fact, most. So yes, it's all, it's all free. Absolutely. That is great. And Sophie's like, this is so cool. And for me, this is what I always say. It's free 99. That works for me. If it's free, it's for me as an introduction there. <laughs> I, I should specify because so you as a teacher, you'll be limited to saving up to 10 questions. So so there is a limit, but like you will still be you'll have enough use, I think, to see if it's a good fit for your classroom. Yeah. So anyway, I want I want to be transparent about that. Like perfect. Anyway. Well, hey, it, as long as there's a free trial, and like you said, from yeah. what I'm seeing, just that value that is there, this might be something that would be great just all together and maybe just bundling up, like you mentioned, either the PD or at a district level, because I know that writing is something that we definitely need to work on. And I know in my district, and especially here in Texas with the state testing now that they have what is called the constructed responses where students have to type in an answer. And I don't think the state did very well from at least what I had been seeing, the feedback, and even within That's my correct. own district was not very, it wasn't, the results weren't great. So if it's something that we can help our students, and not only that, like you mentioned, it, it's not just going to be for the ELA class. It's not going to be just for social studies, but it can be easily done for math and science and social studies and all subjects. But to be able to work on that feedback is something great. The immediacy of the feedback for the on the teacher side, also for the students to be able to continue to grow. And you can extend the questions and just build them up. And that's really what we want. So this is great. 
Thank you so much, Adam, for you and your work, uh, for creating this and the idea that you had and just bringing it to fruition. And most importantly, for bringing it to our education landscape and helping our teachers with these problems. And it's so important. So thank you, Adam. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And and to Ben, too, also for contributing to all of this. Yeah, and I, to know, ben. So and I want to shout out my wife. I want to shout out my wife. Yes. Too, I'm building it with my wife. So yes. Um, Alexa deserves a shout out too. But, um, yes, please make sure you do shout her out for sure. <laughs> and I do want to shout out, she did get accepted to Stanford. <laughs> so she is in Stanford. And the only reason I'm adding that is because I loved that story that you put on TikTok. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> Driving back from Nebraska all the way to Stanford. Now it's her turn. And it's great that you guys are doing this together. So that's wonderful. So big shout out to you and your wife and the work that you guys are doing here. But before we go, Adam, and before we end, I hope you did look at the calendar invite and section three, the last three questions, because I always love to end the show with the following three questions. And like we talked about kind of like in that superhero theme, we know that Superman's greatest weakness was kryptonite. So that would definitely weaken Superman to the core. So I want to ask you, Adam, in the current state of education, what would you say would be your current edu kryptonite? <laughs> a lack of a trust for teachers, like a lack of a trust in teachers. And what I mean by that is like when a teacher, we just need to trust teachers to know what's best for their classroom and give them the resources necessary to enact those changes. And it's crazy how simple that is, but how often that doesn't happen. And teachers so often when they want to do something in their classroom, have to get at a minimum one other person, but often two to three to sometimes 10, depending on the initiative, 10 people to say yes. And it only takes one of those people to say no. And all of a sudden this teacher can't do something that was that they felt was was best for their classroom. And that manifests itself in many different aspects of, of K-12 education, but just, yeah, just trusting teachers that they're professionals, they're experts, they know what's best for their classroom. So let's empower them and enable them to, to do that. Um, it sounds so simple, but it, it can get so challenging in some of our systems. So yeah, I thought a lot about that question, but, and there's a lot of answers to it. I think well, there's more than just one, but that's, that's the biggest one for me, both as a, I'm saying that as a former educator, but now as someone building an ed tech tool for sure. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you so much, Adam, for sharing that. Question number two is if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Yeah, I thought about it. If I'm giving you like, a, if I'm giving you a real Adam talk, it would just say "Go Big Red" in Nebraska Cornhuskers, yeah. and we would just line them up and down I-80 in Iowa, and it would just say "Go Big Red" across the entire state of Iowa. In reality, it would be fund our schools, and it would be in every single state. I don't care what state you're in. It's teachers need to be paid more, but also teachers need resources for their classroom, and they shouldn't have to go to set up a GoFundMe at the beginning of the school year mm -hmm. to get pens for the, for the expo board. Like that stuff is so frustrating to me. It's, it's encouraging to me to see how passionate teachers are for their classroom, that they're willing to go out of their way to set up a, a fundraising campaign and, and get that stuff. But that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be necessary in, in, in the American K-12 system. So yeah, fund our schools would be my giant billboard that I would put anywhere that I possibly could. I love it. I love it. So that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that and go big red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Really well. And the last question, Adam, is if you had to write a book starting tomorrow, what would your book be about? Uh, yeah, I'm not qualified to write a book on anything. Let's let's get that out of the way up front. But if I had a if I had the time to sit around and research and, and write a book, it would be about how AI is changing formative assessment. And I say that because I've lived, I've been ensconced in the in the formative assessment research base for the last two years. And it's crazy how much of it, it's not crazy, it's, it's, it's understandable, how much of it is, is, I don't know, like grounded in the practical realities of teaching as it should. But so many of those practical realities have changed uh, because of AI. Like AI affords us so much efficiency when it comes to things like all the administrative tasks that come with teaching, but also like lesson planning and, and grading and, and like, you name it, like it, it, it affords us so much more um, opportunity that many of the recommendations, I think, historically around formative assessment 
have should change uh, because we have this new power in our at our fingertips. And that, I mean, it, that's a. I don't know if I'm going to be able to like summarize all that right here. That's hence the book. Like, but I think you could write a book on that, and I'm sure somebody's working on it right now. But that that would be my my book. Yeah, formative assessment in, in this new age of AI because there's so much potential to just revolutionize what we're doing with formative assessment. I think. Great answer. Awesome, Adam. Well, thank you so much, Adam. Again, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you here. It's honestly being able to connect on TikTok and immediately just see a video. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to reach out and you kindly reaching back and making this happen. I'm thankful that you found time out of your day to be here on the show, really share your passion, share your background, your origin story, and obviously what it is that you're working on. So for all our audience members, please make sure that you visit my short answer answer.com myshortanswer.com and of course you'll find that in the show notes along with adam's contact information also sophie here shout out saying i would read that so hey sophie would read that book so you've got one reader and sophie you've got one reader and me so hey maybe we'll see that book the adam sparks <laughs> ai is going to change formative assessment book so there you go well adam thank you again i appreciate you and of course sophie and all our audience members thank you as always for making my edtech life what it is today thank you so much for all the support all the likes the shares the follows please make sure that you follow us on all socials at my edtech life at my edtech life and please guys if you can do us a favor hop over to youtube please give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel we're trying to get to a thousand followers so we would definitely appreciate all your help and support so we can go ahead and make that happen so please make sure you jump over to that but of course as always make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life myedtech.live where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 239 wonderful episodes full of amazing knowledge, nuggets that you can take and sprinkle on to what you're already doing great. We've had education practitioners, professors, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, founders, teachers. We've got just a little bit of everything for everybody. And so I know that there'll be an episode just for you there. So please make sure you visit our website. And of course, if you'd love to contribute to our mission, visit our merch store. They're located on our website where you can get yourself some My EdTech Life swag. We know that the cool winter season's coming around. So maybe you might want to pick up yourself a sweater or some loungewear, maybe even some conference wear because we're definitely hitting conference season two for the winter. So make sure that you show your support. So thank you guys as always. And don't forget my friends, until next time, stay techie.